Hello, teacher friends. Christina Whitlock here, your anytime piano teacher friend, and I would like to welcome you to episode number 44 of the Beyond Measure podcast. Today, we are talking frankly about imagination and the responsibility that we have as teachers to encourage it. A few months ago, I was driving my two girls and my youngest nephew somewhere. And at the time, they were ages 10, 5, and 4. I was listening in to their conversation because kid conversations are the absolute best. <laughs> and there came a point when they were debating the pros and cons of playgrounds versus swimming pools. So they were outlining all the reasons they loved swimming pools and all the reasons they loved playgrounds. And then they were trying to decide which one was better. Super cute, like I said. (laughs) Anyway, one of them then suggested, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could combine the two, like have an underwater playground that you could play on while you were in the pool? And Maybe it would be built so like your head would stay above the water no matter what. And as I listened to them rattle on and on about underwater slides and swings and how much fun those things would be, they then asked me what I thought. (laughs) My initial reaction, I'm sad to say, was to start telling them the many reasons why an underwater playground will not work. (laughs) When asked for my opinion, I came very close to just spouting off a list of my concerns. (laughs) You know, how would you ensure the proper building materials? What about tripping hazards? Like, how many times are you going to stub your toe on an underwater playground, right? (laughs) All kinds of safety issues. And, you know, you get the idea. But just as I started to voice my very grown-up opinion, it hit me. Why on earth did I need to spoil this for them? (laughs) Like, why couldn't I just suggest, hey, what about an underground (laughs) teeter-totter and call it a day? (laughs) The realization of how quickly I almost dumped my, like, killjoy realism on this silly little conversation really bothered me. So much so that here I sit recording a podcast episode on that conversation months after the fact. So here's where I'm really struggling. On principle, I feel like creativity and imagination ranks pretty high on my list of human priorities. (laughs) I would imagine that lots of us feel that way in this profession. I mean, we are artists. Creating art is at the very core of who many of us are. And if you would ask me how important I feel creativity is to the human soul at any age, I would tell you it's a pretty essential element of our experience here on this planet. We know that the creative efforts of those around us help get us through difficult times. We also know that demonstrating the ability to develop creative solutions in the workplace 
is absolutely one of the most highly sought after qualities in hiring new employees in just about any profession. We know that we feel better and more alive when we are using our imaginations. <laughs> I don't think anyone here would argue that imaginative play is one of the very best things for children to do. I mean, certainly not me. <laughs> and yet, think about this seemingly inconsequential moment when faced with the notion of this make-believe underwater playground, my gut reaction, and I mean my strong gut reaction, was to be the naysayer, <laughs> to tell these children all the reasons their little plan wasn't going to work out. Man, what a downer I am, right? <laughs> Fortunately, in that moment, I did catch myself. I didn't necessarily add to the conversation, but I did tell them it was a fun idea. And then, of course, they moved on to the next thing. But it did make me wonder, how many times do I actually dismiss the imagination of children? And today, I'm asking you the same thing. In your studio, are you ever guilty of like sucking the joy out of something your student tells you or an idea they have? I know you would never do it on purpose, but it's a really important question that warrants some examination today. <laughs> so what if a student tells you that they really like a particular kind of music? And what if it's a style of music that really rubs you the wrong way? <laughs> Do you roll your eyes? <laughs> Do you say, oh no, really? <laughs> Maybe they mention a singer, <laughs> I use that with air quotes, singer, <laughs> who basically just speaks sort of kind of on pitch <laughs> and calls it singing. <laughs> Maybe it's a group that you think is totally overrated and gets way too much attention. Then again, what if it's, I don't know, Fur Elise <laughs> and the elitist inside of you wants to cry at the thought of any of your students thinking that that's as good as it gets. <laughs> Side note, this is coming from a girl whose childhood self often proclaimed canon in D to be the be-all end-all of classical repertoire. <laughs> Thank goodness my teachers did not give up on me. <laughs> so here's the deal. When you are working with children, and actually I would include adults here as well, nothing they tell you is small. It's all a big deal to them or they wouldn't bother telling you. And the last thing we want to do is squelch their enthusiasm or their creativity on anything. <laughs> so, in fact, that's why I've titled this episode, The Relentless Defense of the Imagination. <laughs> we, as music teachers, are obligated to do everything possible to keep our students dreaming, to keep them imagining because that's what fuels their ability to create new things and play their instruments with new perspectives. And frankly, if we're not going to do it, then who is? Relentless defense of the imagination, my friends. <laughs> 
I don't think it comes as any giant surprise to say that music teachers have a long and storied history of actually squashing the natural creativity that comes with childhood. So depending on your background, many of us experienced some pretty intense training where we were taught very hard and fast rules of what we could never, ever, ever do, as well as what we just absolutely had to do. Practicing as we know it, is oftentimes very far removed from what we would consider playing our instrument, right? (laughs) I used to roll my eyes during my degree studies when friends from other majors would comment things like, oh, it must be so great to spend your day playing the piano. (laughs) I mean, I was working my brains out and felt constantly behind and constantly ill-equipped and all those things. (laughs) But yes, I was indeed spending my day playing the piano. (laughs) And here's the thing. Many of us are trying and trying hard to rectify those old school standards by, you know, teaching our students more functional skills like improvisation and composition and courting or whatever it may be. But the truth remains, there are a lot of music teachers who draw some pretty peculiar lines in the sand and warp our art form into anything but a creative one. And this is why we must be relentlessly defensive of the imagination. I'll give you an example. So I have this bright student who a few weeks ago was working out of a Beethoven collection published by Piano Pronto. And she had worked on arrangements of Rage Over a Lost Penny and Furalise. And she told me she wanted to combine these two pieces into a medley. (laughs) Now, let's think on this. We're talking a quick piece in a major key to a slower piece in a minor key. Different meters, completely different affects overall, right? (laughs) So we talked through those concerns, and then I told her to take the week and explore it. I mean, why not? (laughs) And you know what? she actually came back with a really clever interlude that ended up working pretty well. I mean, who knew we could combine those two pieces with any amount of success? (laughs) So now I ask you this, what would have happened if I let my, like, scholarly music teacher self (laughs) tell her how difficult or impossible that task was going to be? What if I had just dismissed her idea altogether and laughed it off saying, well, that's never going to work, sweetheart. (laughs) I would have completely robbed her of the exploratory experience. And of course, she learned the challenges of combining those two pieces firsthand. And I call that a win. (laughs) So... The next time a student comes in and wants to tell you a three-minute story about the worm he saw on the sidewalk yesterday, listen attentively and then ask him, hey, what kind of sound would that worm make 
if he were crawling on the piano here today? <laughs> would he like the high sounds or would he like the low sounds? With that, you've got yourself a motive and you can start a composition project, my friend. <laughs> and even better, you have validated their worth by placing value on the story they chose to tell you. I'm telling you, relentless defense of imagination. The next time a student brings you an arrangement of video game music that is way too hard and their left hand stands no chance of managing those sweeping arpeggiated bass lines, just say, well, let's just see what we can do to make this more accessible and see what happens if they let the left hand just play the downbeat of every measure. Relentless defense of imagination. <laughs> The next time a student wants to play the ending of their piece fortissimo rather than the pianissimo that is indicated, let them try it a couple of times. Let them get it out of their system and then do a compare and contrast. Ask them why they think the composer made the choice they did. Relentless defense of imagination. The next time a student comes in and apologizes for not practicing because they had four soccer games that week, instead of lecturing them, ask them how the soccer games went. Ask them how they played, how they felt about it. <laughs> okay, maybe that one doesn't really have anything to do with imagination and creativity, but it is just decent human interaction. <laughs> You know, kids are prone to feeling guilty a lot more than you may realize. So letting them know that you support them in all their endeavors will go so much further than trying to guilt them into practicing more. I guess that's a bonus tip for you today. <laughs> and before I veer too far off track here, <laughs> let's go ahead and offer up a toast today to the relentless defense of the imagination. Music teacher friends all over the world, <laughs> today we recommit to the relentless defense of the imagination. Let us never lose sight of the word play <laughs> when we talk about playing our instruments. <laughs> May we give our students choices in things like their tempo selection. May we let them play that popular piece they love in the recital, whether we like it or not. Maybe, just maybe, maybe they can swing those eighth notes in their piece just a couple of times, even if it's not exactly stylistically appropriate. <laughs> Let's listen to their dreams and validate their feelings and their ideas and their concerns. And let's keep our students creating. What's that famous quote from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I think it's, we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. Not some of us, all of us music makers are also the dreamers of dreams. So with that in mind, I say cheers to the imagination, my friends. <laughs> here, here. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to episode number 44 of the Beyond Measure podcast. (laughs) Hey, this is exciting news. We are now officially two weeks away from my one year anniversary of launching this podcast. So it's giving me all kinds of feels just because you have blessed me with such abundance this past year. Um, I'm sure we'll think of a cool way to celebrate, but in the meantime, just please keep sharing this podcast with your teacher friends because I can't help but think there are even more teachers out there who could use an anytime piano teacher friend. (laughs) You can find me on Instagram and on Facebook at Beyond Measure Podcast. And you can always feel free to email me at beyondmeasurepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much, my friends. Until next week, let's work hard, rest well, and be nice. (laughs) 